You're listening to the Dogfight Podcast. Discussing everything regarding the fight and beyond. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Anchor and more. Subscribe so you never miss an episode. For now, get comfy and enjoy. Welcome to the third episode of the one-on-one series from Dogfight Podcast. I'm joined today by Mac Madley, the former merch officer for the committee for the University of York MMA team. How are you doing, Mac? Yeah, I'm doing all right, mate. It's nice and hot today. I'm making the most of the sun, I'm sweating in my room recording this, but no, I'm feeling good. How about you? I'm, I'm saying, yeah, we, we literally picked the hottest day of the year to record. And I think both of us have like the hottest room in the house that we're, we're like sat in. <laughs> so yeah, like we may, may have to do some sweat breaks every now and again, but I'm sure we'll be all right. We'll make it through. <laughs> yeah, honestly, ready for the hottest recording of a one-on-one. No shots <laughs> at uh, Jack and Merck. <laughs> yeah. So how's how's things going in your life? How's um how's lockdown treating you? What have you been doing? Yeah, lockdown's just been a bit crazy because obviously I'm from London, so we've sort of seen the worst of it in terms of just all the craziness happening. So yeah, I mean I've I've basically been on lockdown for ages, like over three months. And in terms of like family like family members in my house and their at risk status, I've basically been living going out like pretty much quite a lot, other than like doing the family shop or. Um, you know, going to the park or just going for a few walks. I'm barely out of the house, but you know, it's just something you got to do for your family and stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm in a similar situation here. Like from the very beginning, me and my dad have been working from home, uh, and my sister's been doing her uni stuff, and my mum's been like in the house as well. So we've all basically done our best to stay in and that. And I suppose it's the best thing you can do. But it's going to be weird now seeing like the next the next like phase of the sort of yeah. like, relaxation of the lockdown and yeah so it's 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 we're gonna see how, it, how it's gonna go over the next few weeks yeah definitely i mean as well it's it's almost that thing i think it's created a bit of distrust amongst like other people like you'll go to tesco and people can't even follow a one-way arrow system on the ground and you're just like oh for the love of god you just can't really trust anyone else to help you and it's sort of thing where you just are looking out for yourself which yeah, it's, it's a, hard it's the same with the whole two meter system as well like We've, we've been told all the way through you know keep two meters but we know in in reality it's been one meter so now this like one meter system's coming in we know in reality that's just going to be people like basically not hugging each other or like touching each other shaking hands or you know that's basically it and it like I, I feel like as soon as that's announced and, and that's put in in place it's going to be as normal as it can be uh or, yeah, well well I, I should rephrase that it's as normal as, as people want it to be not as much as it should be i guess like we should still have these you know there's a reason why we've had these uh, measures in place uh it's because of the obviously the distance with the droplets that come out when you cough and sneeze and stuff yeah so. i mean i've got i've got a little bone to pick with you on that and that um i remember listening to a former dog fight when you were talking about covid <laughs> the, the week before it broke <laughs> out and you're like oh i think everyone's overreacting bro <laughs> that's like literally <laughs> literally the first rule of the internet is just never say anything just never ever share an opinion on anything because most of the time you'll be found out for being an idiot who has no idea what they're talking about just <laughs> the basically the, the job title of, of running a podcast in this in this yeah. ma- manner but but i mean in, in my defense like no one had, would have known how bad it was i mean obviously people did but like the average <laughs> no, the, the average idiot on the street like me and then the 50 percent of people who are like 
thicker than me would obviously like be in the same position and say no nah, it's just it's, it's not it's not you know a big deal but obviously it's a huge deal i mean yeah fucking hell <laughs> what a year <laughs> what a year man honestly yeah i know again like that this sort of thing that's gonna get like dragged up years after like i'll have grandkids or something like oh yeah so what's going on with COVID? no oh, it's just a flu on steroids on it and everyone will be like no it wasn't tom no it wasn't yeah, <laughs> you're an idiot I remember, like at my, at my jiu-jitsu gym i remember sort of a week or two before the gym shut down because of lockdown i was in the same position where i was like yeah you know like it's 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 just the flu like it's just a bit more aggressive than the flu people are overreacting and then everything gets locked down in london and i'm just like oh my god yeah it is it's, it's unprecedented it's that's the thing with gyms though as well like i remember like i just started my um like the gym that i'm at currently pulga i just started it in january so i'd done like this beginner's course for gay because i'd never done gay before and mm. i think it was literally like i was ill i had like a stomach problem and then i had like i had the flu like not the covid but the flu that's the thing because i did it i did an antibody test and it came back negative and i was fucking pissed and i was like i was so ill in february like, i wish that it was well i don't wish that it was that but it was like the sort of the closure you know that you'd have from knowing that you'd had it sort of thing so anyway the test came back negative but anyway that's a side track anyway so yeah so I'd, I'd, I'd missed a few sessions so it was my first big boy session at the, at the gym like training with everyone like the blue belts purple belts everyone like i was well chuffed because i was like you know it's the first time i've been there and i was like got got the bug back for uh for for the sport and everything and then the very next day it's like the lockdown and it's like fuck like we can't train ever like ever again <laughs> yeah <laughs> but... i mean that's the thing that's the thing with the timing of it as well i had in my head because i'm doing my dissertation right now i was literally like i had a plan for 2020 where this would be the few months where i'd be going into the gym every day and like grinding for my blue belt before i start my job in october and i was so like set on that like i'm so ready to do it i was so committed to just grind and grind every day and lockdown's been announced but <laughs> you know yeah it's tough I suppose there's like worse things in the world, isn't there? That that like, but at the same time, like, it's one of them. It's 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 shit that the gyms have been shut and we want them to be reopened. But it's again, bit bit you want safety to be paramount. You don't want anyone to be at risk of this. So, it. I feel like gyms have done the right thing. I feel like people are ready for them to open, and I think they'll do the right thing by not opening. Um, to like the the same way. Like, I don't think you can have thirty people on mats like, in this climate, like. Probably not not ev- not ever again, but at least for a long time. Um, that's my my sort of take on it, given what we know about yeah. the virus. Yeah, definitely. That. Yeah. Also, as well, you've got to think in terms of things that I'm sacrificing. You know, a few months of me not being able to grind for a blue belt. You know, there there are people literally dying out here and losing like loved ones and family members. So the most important thing is that all my family and friends are really healthy and that that's what that matters you know a, a few months of not lifting weights or being able to do jiu-jitsu at the academy you know there, there are more important things in life clearly right now yeah I'm, I, I get you completely so um other than yeah other than that so I, I guess um have you been able to do any sort of like jiu-jitsu related training like have you been doing like yoga for bjj or anything solo yeah, drills so- yeah so actually one thing i've been really grateful for during lockdown is it's really it's allowed me to like train like other things that i wouldn't have picked up during this time period so uh, one of my good friends he's a yoga instructor so he's been showing me like routines so i've started to try and do a daily or every other day sort of an hourish routines and it's really helped open my body up and 
also deal with like a lot of aches and sort of natural pains. And at the same time, my jiu-jitsu academy has set up Zoom online classes, which, I mean, grappling with like a stuffed shark in a jumper and towels <laughs> with a kimono wrapped around it and its top half doesn't quite compare to the uh, to being able to grab you, Tom, or someone else, but it, it's still, I'm staying sharp, so. That's good. And was it, was it, um, you had a, you had a seminar with someone as well recently? Was it Danaher? Yeah, John Danaher. That was pretty crazy. How was that? <laughs> yeah, he just came on. He was wearing like a leather jacket and like a flat cap. He was like <laughs> the epitome of cool. Yeah, he's, he's such an interesting guy. Just hearing his, he, he was basically just giving a talk about his high level sort of beliefs on like the development of jujitsu and how he started um, jujitsu. And it was just really, really interesting. He's a, He's, yeah, just his mind and the way he thinks about things and breaks stuff down. I think it's quite interesting. I've got his um one of his DVDs. You know, at the very beginning of lockdown, there was like a, he was giving out like a free a free oh yeah um fundamentals. I think I got like a solo fundamentals, but I'm too lazy to do it on my own. So <laughs> I've 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 not done it. Like knowing full well that John, John Donner wants me to do it. He's like <laughs> he's he's created the system for people to do it, and like I've just said nah, I'm just not doing it. Yeah, see <laughs> but... that, I've seen I've seen that DVD, and it's like he has a bar in his back. He has a bar, and he's doing like leg lifts and stuff, and it's like man john i don't have one of those i can't do this hanging uh, leg lifts and he's always like you need to focus on a you need to focus on form and not number of repetitions and it's like oh john just breaking me down all the fitness info as well as jujitsu i love it so i think i'll i'll start with um start with the interview now i guess we've had a little banter segment section so uh what would you say is the the one thing that got you into fighting like what was the what was the first thing that got you started in in this sort of journey that you've taken yeah it's crazy just looking back on it so i i started a really weird time like quite a few people when they're coming to the club at uni it'd be during freshers week where you join because you see the stall and stuff or you have a friend you may become a week after freshers that's when we always got our biggest intakes club i came in like second year like second term i don't even think i saw mma at refreshers like I, so I just came at a super weird time I didn't come with either, any friends as well I just looked up on the UC website and saw they had a club and it was like it was just so weird because I had heard of MMA like very very casual like cage fighter but I, I didn't really know much about it and then my flatmate he loves watching UFC so I remember it was the night after I think it was Bisping versus GSP UFC 217 and he he was complaining about he lost an acker because he uh he bet on Bisping to win. GSP obviously came up yeah, white yeah, class, yeah. did did the did the deed. But then I think it was I think it might have actually been the next pay per view. It was UFC two one eight. He showed me Francis and Garnu knocking out Alistair Overeem pay per view. And I think I think we were just chatting. And when I was younger, when I was like about six or seven, I had actually done a year or two at the kids class at Roger Gracie which was the first ever Roger Gracie Academy in London now it's expanded like all over Europe but I remember doing that and I remember I I was getting into watching UFC and MMA and it got to a point where I was like you know why why can't I train that like I was really enjoying watching the sport with him obviously uh, Ngannou (laughs) punching over his head into the rafters (laughs) like the bloodlust but no I, I just remember training and being like you know what like why why not train that sport like genuinely 
I, th I thought it would be really good fun. I was really starting to enjoy the sport of MMA. So and that's when I got to uh, York and I got to the university club. And I just remember after the first session, I loved it. Like I just felt addicted to grappling. Did you think? Did you think it was weird, like joining like late in the in the term, or did it have any different effect yeah, on it you? Was. I mean, it's more so the fact that not having a friend is really weird. Not like <laughs> someone to bring you in the club. It's literally some random blokes just turning up in second term. Like, like I'm, an, I'm a nice, approachable guy. Like, I'm, I'm not. I like to think I'm not some weird bloke, but I mean, I must have looked like one just coming <laughs> second term, but and like not having any friends. But I think that it really emphasised how having people in the club. Like, I remember Jack Edmondson. He was one of the first people I trained with for grappling. And he was just setting the pace and the like the standard really low so that I could get to grips with everything. I remember my first session of grappling, he was one of my partners and I was just I was really thankful the club had such welcoming people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that that's that yeah. You you hear that from pretty much everyone who talks about the club, like it is it is such a welcoming place. But that's good of Jack to keep the uh keep the standard low. I mean saying a lot about his ability as well isn't it like <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i'm only joking jack but yeah no, no that's that's cool um i suppose that that could be something for you know us to to think about in the future with the expansion of the club would be it's not just about sort of the people who join in freshers or refreshers it's like people can join at any time and they can get something out yeah. of it especially with morgan and uh, chris teaching these uh, fundamental. Well, they were t teaching these fundamental classes. I mean, Morgan's a little bit. Uh, he's a bit upset about that now, obviously, because he's left. He's left uni now. He's uh, graduate. Well, he, he's soon to graduate, and um, he, he's taught his last fundamentals class at uni without knowing about it, sort of thing. Like he was obviously expecting a whole another term of of, of doing jujitsu with the club, and it's quite sad that they've like not had that sort of send off that we we were able to have. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, a big, it's a big shame, really. Yeah, no, it's really bad. I can imagine Morgan was preparing the Twister seminar for the his last <laughs> beginner class. But no, I just I think in general, I'm super happy I was able to graduate from York last year, just because all the things I've heard this year in terms of an online graduation ceremony, you don't get to have that after exams blowout and like fun with your friends. Like yeah. it'd just be such a horrible year to graduate from your undergraduate degree. So sorry, Morgan, but I'm I'm glad I'm not in your no. position. I get yeah as well like I feel bad for the sort of like integrating masters people like like Tommy for example Tommy Maltby because he obviously didn't have a graduation with his like cohort last year and he's not going to have one this year either like but given the situation like because he's obviously finished his masters well it would be his masters year I guess his fourth year yeah it's it, it's it's not it's not great it's a it's a shit situation it's almost like we you'd you'd hope that they'd just restart the year completely but it's not practical like people got to go and live their lives and rent in york is extortionate and stuff it's just ridiculous isn't it yeah yeah definitely and people you know have to graduate and go into probably one of the worst job markets to be a graduate <laughs> in so. <laughs> yeah good luck good luck guys <laughs> basically yeah. thrown you to with that one haven't we? <laughs> oh fucking hell yeah so I'll, I'll i'll move on to my second question mark um so like you you fought at the university you had your fight night oh god you had your you had your mohawk and your red hair and yeah yeah oh, how, how was how was how would you like rank your experience of fighting at the university like what would because you, you've done jiu-jitsu as well right you did you did uh, grappling tournaments you've done you've done the fight night yeah. yeah i mean it's a really crazy thing 
in terms of fighting it, it, there's no feeling quite like it like I can remember just so many things about the day of like the fight night but yeah so from the beginning so I obviously joined in my second year in second term and I've always just been one of those people who's really wanted to just challenge myself like I said with beginning the sport my whole thing was you know what I'm really enjoying watching MMA why not give it a go like if I love watching the sport so much why not actually try it and so I think I don't know if there's a bit of naivety or it's like bravado. I think it's somewhere in between. But, you know, entering grappling competitions when I've only done grappling for a few months, you know, it, it's good to get that experience. But I'm not really sure looking back what I was going to really expect. I mean, I lost my first fight by submission. Uh, the guy had an Achilles lock on and it, one of his feet was kicking me in the balls and the referee <laughs> didn't do anything. I was fuming about that one. <laughs> And uh, the second one I lost by decision, so that's me out of that <laughs> tournament. Yeah. And then uh, fight night, obviously I had my red mohawk tried to invoke uh, Dan Hardy, except <laughs> you know I probably looked like one of Dan Hardy's shits. So I was like sixty nine <laughs> kilos, like six foot, just really skinny. And then yeah, I ended up dropping a decision to Giovanni. So yeah, I mean you, you were talking to Meg and talking to Jack, and now you've got someone who's own three, basically CM Punk <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> Mate, I mean, like, my record's not much to write home about either, so, like, I feel like it's fair enough. It's, like, from one from one shit fighter to another. <laughs> I'm, only, I'm only joking. No, but that's also one of the things as well. Like, I, it's almost like when I look at Mark Hunt, Mark Hunt's got record. He's, got 30, he's definitely got more losses than wins. I think he's got, like, 13 wins and 14 or 15 losses, and it's, like, I'm not comparing myself to Mark Hunt. Mark Hunt is amazing. I love Mark Hunt. There's more so... I think records at the end of the day are just numbers. You kind of have to look deeper yeah, than that. Like are. I'm over three when I was fighting for like a few months. Like I know if you put me back in that exact same sort of competitions now, or even an MMA fight now, I'd just be so much more capable of like possibly winning. Like, I, yeah, I think that, I was just a bit naive. That that does lead me very nicely to the third question, which would be like, how much has your game improved since you've been training at like a legitimate gym? Yeah, you've that's been, you've been at Roger Gracie Academy, haven't you? Is that right? Yeah, I've, yeah. I've started training Roger Gracie Academy last September, and I, like my jiu-jitsu has just come on so much. Like I've started training normally three or four times a week, just getting in there and just putting time on the mats. And I've my jiu-jitsu is just so much better. And I think one of the things that must be said about the club itself when I had Violet and Tom teaching was that after coming from Roger Gracie Academy and then going back to see how they teach things, I came up uh, to see you guys. Like, the club is so well run. Like, it's run like a proper jiu-jitsu academy. In Roger Gracie Academy, you've got teachers there who are, like, European world-like champions, nogi champions. And the way Tom does it in terms of breaking down the technique as Violet did it, it's such a high-quality level for a university MMA club. Like, I can't stress enough how high quality it is having then seen what a proper jiu-jitsu academy is like yeah that is that's that's really cool i mean like i suppose it it must have been really hard for tom because obviously he started out doing it as, as a white belt but at the same time like and, and that's no disrespect that's obviously his, just his experience more than it is his um you know his his, his ability or quality as a, as a coach or a fighter like he's he's gone in from like theoretically the bot the bottom and then taught at that level but from the perspective of someone who is you know like t- has tons more experience than he has and that's like a credit to him i would say like his ability to have done that and obviously violet as well is like especially like she is 
really really legit and i guess they've always had good good coaches and trainers so yeah they've been able to sort of rub, like bring that back if you ever go back to uni mac if you ever go and do your phd somewhere do you reckon you'd ever take on take on the coaching position at a club Oh, 100%. If, you know, if I'm ever back in up in York, I mean, in a few years, I'd love to come back up and do like a free seminar or something. Like, you can hold me to this being <laughs> recorded. Definitely, like, I would love to come back and just give back to the club, obviously, when I'm a slightly higher level and just teach like a wicked seminar. Like, I just really appreciate what the club's been able to do in terms of my, uh, get me on my sort of journey in terms of martial arts. And like, uh, like you said with um, Tom and Violet, even though Tom was like a white belt, he's so passionate about jiu-jitsu and it just really came across in his teaching as well as Violet's when they're breaking down technique and stuff it's just the passion and the actual love in terms of the sport and the atmosphere it creates in the club like it's really really welcoming to someone who joined in second term of the weirdo you can definitely see like they'll they'll go as far as like their ability can take them in in jiu-jitsu like they're the sort of people as well who will I, I can see them you know like doing this as like a lifelong thing like you'll see people who'll pick it up at uni have a good time and then see it off but i think yeah like people who've sort of like stuck around like you know you can you can tell that they're gonna have like an impact on 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 the world in 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 the yeah jiu-jitsu world i can i can see that for sure so yeah um fourth question would be who would who would you say is your favorite fighter of all time it's a tricky one I've got so many different fighters that I like for uh, different reasons I'll start off in terms of like the kind of role model reasons because obviously there's there's a bit of a disconnect as we know from like pure incageability and then people you want to be like oh, 100% so I'd say the, t- the two people I'd most like to be like who are fighters who I can't see are role models are George St. Pierre and Daniel Cormier uh, mate I'm, um, I'm on board with that already I'm a big Cormier yeah. fan I'm a I'm a good I'm a good guy. I like to think I'm I'm a, I'm a pure no, noble soul. But yeah, da- Daniel Cormier. In terms of, you know, he teaches high school wrestling for free. I think in terms of just the father he is and that sort of figure, the family man he is. In terms of the consummate professional, the way he just cares so much. That kind of team leader. I would always aspire to be. In terms of one day when I do become a father someone like Daniel Cormier I think he's a real role model in terms of what he does with his kids and how he coaches people definitely yeah he's, he's a he's a great fighter and he's a great man as well what about um what like what what about GSP do you do you like his like his like I guess what you're saying his personality and stuff like what like what specifics yeah I think it's more so GSP talks about how he was picked on quite a lot when he was younger and you know one of the things I sort of find myself in with that is like you've met me I'm not a big lad whatsoever you know about six foot walking around at like 70 kilos so fairly fairly skinny and fairly wiry just him talking about how you know some of his biggest battles have been like overcoming himself he even had a he had a post on Instagram the other day where you know he's talked about as one of the most winningest fighters and he was speaking about, you know, like in his first jiu-jitsu competition, he got tapped out in a minute. His first uh, wrestling competition in the States, he was pinned in like a minute 30. Which, you know, so I, when I'm a undefeated heavyweight MMA champion, <laughs> I can say, you know, my first uh, charity fight night in York, I dropped a decision. <laughs> my first jiu-jitsu <laughs> tournament, uh, I lost twice. But no, just in terms of, I think, that individual struggle 
and overcoming that really into progress. Also, the way the way he sort of has cross trained the elements over the years. When you look at his jujitsu, he was coached by John Danaher for a good few years. His wrestling under Faraz Zahavi, despite the fact you know he's never been wrestling as part of the NCAA, and his striking with Freddie Roach. Once you build all of those elements of his training together, you do get like the complete MMA fighter. Hundred like, percent, unbelievable. Yeah, definitely. That's that's for sure. But then going back to like the sort of like less reputable characters, like who would, who would you say? Are we are we talking like John Joneses of the world or? I, th- I think don't get me wrong. John Jones, I think, is amazing in terms of ability. How he mixes everything up, like I, I think it's undisputed. I mean, he he did survive a fairly dodgy call from Dominic Reyes. I don't know how that one judge had it uh, four rounds to one for Jones, but um, yeah, I mean, John Jones, you can't question his in cage greatness in terms of how he's able to mix things up. You can sometimes really question his motivation in terms of how he approaches challenges. I think that's something to be said where. You get to the point where you're John Jones, you've dominated your division for so long. Does he really get motivated by fights against lesser names like Dominic Reyes or Jan Blachowicz or stuff like that? Which I think is a, a separate point, but you know, obviously John Jones is an amazing fighter. I'm actually a massive fan of Ryan Hall, which is a bit of a bit of a uh, surprising one. But I just love how he uses jiu-jitsu as his main sort of offensive weapon. I love how he point fights for quite a lot of the time and stays on the outside. And then he might chuck like a Numenari role like he did to BJ Penn, or he'll come in and clinch and then use his jiu-jitsu. But I, my favorite fighters are, I do have a soft spot for those who have brought jiu-jitsu specifically into their sort of MMA game. Yeah, I guess that would be your favorite sort of, your well, your bread and butter, isn't it really? Your jiu-jitsu more than it is your striking, I guess. Yeah, I hate getting hit in the face. I need to. <laughs> I need to change that. <laughs> have you got Have you got any um, ambitions to to fight again? Like do a full MMA fight? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, at the minute, I was I'm just focused on getting my jiu-jitsu better. So I'm definitely I want to compete as soon as I can in jiu-jitsu. You know, uh, the London Open normally happens. I'd love to compete at that. Just get my grind my way to blue belt. But hopefully, then when I get to blue belt, focusing more on kickboxing and stand up and then. You know, I'd love to maybe one day get back in the octagon. Who knows, man? Do you have a do you have like striking classes at your gym, or is it something you'd have to go elsewhere for? No, so um, Roger Gracie Academy actually does kickboxing as well. Oh, that's great! That's great. So yeah, I'd I'd be able to stay at the same gym, which is obviously great. They also do like yoga and wrestling. They do, they actually do a lot more classes than you think. A lot of people would just imagine it's strictly jujitsu, but they also do like MMA classes, yoga, gymnastics. That's cool, but I suppose like your elite athletes, if they're training there, you'd you'd want to have a the op- option to, you know, have have all of the training under one bracket, wouldn't you? Rather than yeah, having different teams. I mean, speaking of which, I think on the UFC June, not June, sorry, the July eleventh card. I think it might be. Uh, it's it's one of the fight nights. I think that's uh, on Fight Island. There's a guy who's the former light heavyweight champion for Cage Warriors. I'm not going to butcher his surname, but I think his first name is Modestas, and he's a purple belt under Roger Gracie at the Roger Gracie Academy. I've never actually trained with him uh, because, you know, obviously he's a light heavyweight and he's a purple belt, so there's absolutely no reason why <laughs> we would ever, should ever roll yet. But he's actually competing, so if you're looking ahead to one of those Fire Ireland cards, I'd definitely say he's someone to watch out for. He's actually trained with John Jones in uh, Albuquerque before. That's really cool. Mm. So, um, speaking of Fight Island, like, what what are your thoughts on the whole sort of situation? Like, 
I, th- I think it's interesting because you know I've heard Jack slag Dana off for it. Yeah, he and, was not bad of the week, wasn't he? I mean, that's crazy. Putting Uncle Dana as not bad of the week, like I can see it. The way I see it is, I think there's a, there's a lot of things with fighters. You know, I think Masvidal, Jones, and Cejudo have all talked about fighter pay, and that's become a real prevalent issue. It's obviously been the Reebok deal as well, taking money away from athletes earning sponsorships. Yeah, I think with the whole COVID thing. The athletes are quite lucky in that they're in a job where they're going to be tested a lot in terms of, you know, being able to know that they don't have the virus. So I I think when you look at it from that way, I do think, rightly so, their safety is a very top priority. It's not like Dana's just telling them to go fight and he denies that COVID's real, like some other people in America might. WWE. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly but at the same time you know you get people like Jacare. he came out with a statement uh, before his scheduled fight with Uriah Hall and he was saying that you know he's he's scared competing in the middle of a pandemic and that it is putting a pressure on him that's a bit kind of unfair because he needs to pay the bills for his family and he needs to fight in order to do that and he feels kind of he feels a bit apprehensive about doing that during a pandemic so I guess the pressure it's putting on fighters to put food on the table isn't a good thing but at the same time you know i don't see why if you're testing people very very like rigidly and enforcing safety standards like they have i think the past few ufc cards have actually worked pretty well in the fact that it hasn't seemed like covid spread amongst the staff and the cards have actually gone forward without a hitch do you um just touching on that as well about sajudo and um I guess Connor as well. Do you think these like retirements that are happening? Do you think that's got to do with COVID, or do you think it's completely I think different? It, I think it's more like fighter pay and the pay structure. Yeah. I think, I think whenever you look in terms of fights, there's always an aspect of this a negotiation. So you have to look at the pros and cons. It's kind of like what can give you more leverage. Henry Cejudo knows that by retiring now, he's essentially gone out on top you know two division champ the whole triple c thing like i love that gimmick i'm a really big fan of that gimmick he instantly overnight became one of the most interesting like people like most must-see people in weight classes that have traditionally struggled to have stars i love that and i think when you look at some retirements it's that it's to get more leverage in in negotiations for pay because he can come back to a mega fight and he knows that he's coming back as someone who retired at the top as a potential you know go oh 100 yeah like i guess in that in that instance you'd say like it'd be a must-see bout wouldn't it if sajudo's coming back it's like the first fight back that's like the main event and it's the main attraction isn't it yeah you're you're a football guy aren't you mac you support you watch football arsenal is yeah yeah chelsea fan chelsea fan i thought you were arsenal no but you know i appreciate david louise going there (laughs) well yeah fair play um but yeah, no. I guess in in that instance, I guess the. Am I right in saying it's it's almost like a, a Sergio Ramos thing where, Ramos always has like contract sort of like negotiations with uh, with Real Madrid. And it's like oh, I'll, I'll just leave. Yeah. I'll just go to United and United are like oh yeah, go on. We'll 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 put a bid in for for uh, Ramos and it's like no no. It's nothing to do with that. It's just because he wants to yeah. get paid more. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't want to. I don't want to paint all retirements the same in MMA. You know, Amanda Nunes has been talking about retirement, and in that case, it's literally like I think she's cleaned out every single. She's cleaned out every single bantamweight champion there's ever been and featherweight champion there's ever been in the UFC. Like she 
her retiring could be a blessing for the division in terms of just letting other contenders come up and the division yeah. just progress. But also, you know, there are people like Gustafson. You know, he retired after that loss to Anthony Smith because I think he sort of, I think it was after that second loss to Jones, he probably felt like maybe he didn't have it in him to be championship material, which I can kind of understand. But, you know, he's now coming out of retirement. He's going to fight for Brissio Vadum at heavyweight. Yeah, so it's an interesting one, that, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to see Gustafson at heavyweight. I'd, Gustafson's one of my favourite fighters to uh, watch in terms of his boxing. Yeah. I actually think, you know, funnily enough, Jones is thinking about vacating. So as much as you want to go up to heavyweight, Gus, I'd say go back down to 205. You know, he's got a win over Jan Blahovic and Glover Teixeira who now are top-ranked contenders. I mean, I know he obviously has that loss to Anthony Smith, but I feel like if he goes back to 205, he'd already be thrust right into the title conversation with a win. So, I suppose the older you get, though, it's harder to sort of, like, get down, isn't it, in terms of weight? Like, the weight the weight cut always becomes a bit bit more yeah, I mean, it, challenging. It, it, it just depends on your body type, though, because you look at Gustafsson, and for 205, I, I never thought, I never thought, oh, man, he's, he's really killing himself to make 205, someone like DC... Yeah. Or someone like oh, Rumble Jesus. Johnson. Rumble Johnson, who I'm always like, man, I would love to see that guy at heavyweight. I Have think Gustafson seen... can really do damage at heavyweight, but I think it's 205, yeah. Do you follow um, Rumble Johnson on uh, on Instagram? I know he posts a lot of photos when he was like bodybuilding. He was like 300 pounds. <laughs> he, he looked so weird the other day. Like he just he just put a picture. I think it was this morning I saw it. He just sat on his couch. He just looks, he looks like well out of it. Like, it's just very strange. It's like, why would you put that on? This is a picture of him just like zonked out. Like, <laughs> I know. I think he's. I think he has um, shares in like a medical marijuana company or CBD. He does. Yeah, he has. Yeah. He has like, it's ton of weed on his page. Like, it's one of them where like you're following him, and it's just like you just seeing pictures of like cannabis on your on your feed. Like, hopefully, Usada. He's not, hopefully, he's not in the Usada pool for a bit, and that can get out of his system. I mean, the oh, fact for that. Real. The fact that weed's banned by Usada, I mean, a, a, a mini rant, but I think that I think Usada's super broken. Like the fact people are getting banned for smoking weed, like it's some sort of performance enhancer. Well, like the Diaz brothers for sure. Yeah, like that it's... that whole thing with uh, with Nick. He's like not fought in since like I think it's like six years now, nearly six years. He hasn't fought. Yeah, isn't it? I mean, originally I think he, I might be wrong for this, but I'm fairly sure I'm not. I think when he got busted for weed originally the nevada state athletic commission wanted to give him a five-year suspension which is like what the, like you give people who take steroids like proper cheaters yeah. less than that and you're giving nick diaz that i mean i mean they on. might they might have well have like they might as well have done that with the fact that he's not fought since then but i suppose it's a whole, whole different whole different situation entirely but i mean there, is, there are great stories of them like having that like that high level of like like weed in the system that they must have been stoned when they were fighting yeah, like, yeah that's, that, the, the that's amazing Diaz fight. yeah no i remember joe rogan said about that was, <laughs> he had so much weed in the system he must have been baked while he was fighting and he ended up winning that fight so that's amazing I like I, th- I think fair enough at that at that point like just you know <laughs> live and let live <laughs> yeah honestly like if you're just baked out of your mind i really don't see how, how you can be better like how you have an unfair advantage on your opponent i think his winch account is two i don't think it shouldn't be a no contest and talking about uh, unfair advantages let's move on to our, our well maybe final question would be what um what's the largest animal you think you oh could knock out in one punch <laughs> see this is the thing right i heard meg say she reckons she can knock out a cow 
And I, I was just like, what? like to be fair, Meg probably could. Like, I just can't imagine myself doing that because I've got pillow hands. <laughs> honestly, I've been think like I honestly do not know. I, I think it would have to be like a left high kick. Cause I'm southpaw. It'd have to be the most like clean, like high kick. I'm just trying to think what animal is big enough where it's like <laughs> it's not embarrassing for me to say, but <laughs> like just not silly enough. What did you say when this was asked on the podcast? I, I don't think I ever gave a definitive answer because I don't think I don't think I don't think it's worth giving an answer. <laughs> well, not that it's worth giving an answer. I do think it's it's funny, but it, like it definitely isn't a horse. It definitely isn't a cow. It's yeah. definitely not a goat. Um, maybe a sheep, like maybe, but then again, sheep. like sheep headbutt each other, like same with goats. Like, I'm gonna give you know, I'm gonna give a thousand IQ answer. You, you ready Go on. for this? So, how much do you reckon a sheep weighs? A sheep probably weighs, I would say, just ballpark like kilos, seventy or eighty kilos, maybe more. What a sheep? Not that big, are they? No, but they're they're muscly, aren't they? Well, maybe maybe sixty or seventy kilos. Why? What they're do you think? Pretty small though. I was going to say, well, for my 1,000 IQ answer, I'll say like a 76 kilo man. I reckon with like a clean left high kick, I can knock, I can knock another man out. <laughs> or, or, so for my animal, I'll go for a human, a homo sapien. <laughs> I'm not going to say a cow because there's no way I can knock out a cow or what? TKO it, like Meg said. What farmyard animal can you knock out in a oh, <laughs> head kick? <laughs> 1984. I'm trying to think as well, like... How, you just and, like running soccer kick a pig. I don't know whether oh. it's just a bit sad. Like I don't really uh, like it's, it's, an it's, a, it's a horrible question, but it's all theoretical and it's all for science. I'll go for it's the just farmer. About, it's just about I'll, I'll punching power. The farmer. Farm. I'll, I'll, I'll head kick the farmer for being yeah imprisoning all those animals. Four legs good, two legs bad. That's yeah, for real. <laughs> exactly. Oh, before we before we wrap this up though, like now we've said that the farmer is is a thing you could you could knock out, which fair enough. I mean, I guess he probably could. Um, unless the farmer is like hard, so. <laughs> but uh, yeah, given given that all, um, we have a little like recurring segment where we 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 have our knobhead of the week. Now in the <laughs> past we've had Mike Ashley as our knobhead of the week. That's a good. We've one. had Richard Branson as knobhead of the week. We've had Rianne Roberts as knobhead of the week, and we've <laughs> had Dana White, Uncle Dana, knobhead of the week. Who who's your knobhead of the week? The weekend in the twenty sixth. 7th of June. Right, I've got I've got one MMA related and one general related, if that counts. That's fine. We could, we'll, we have, we'll, do... have a, we'll have a joint knobhead. We'll have we'll have we'll have the dickheads of the week this week. So first first one I'll go for is quite general and this has happened very recently, but all the people who've gone down to Bournemouth, essentially in the hottest days of the year, Bournemouth is now flooded in terms of the beaches. There's something like 12 tons of litter dropped. No one's social distancing. No one's wearing masks. People are literally pooing on the <laughs> pooing on the beach. And yeah, I think you're you're probably a knobhead if you're going there and if you're doing things like that during the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that is like, it's just so dumb. Like, it's funny, but it's also dumb. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's literally just like it's just really stupid in terms of. Yeah, just relying on, you know, I think they said we can rely on the British public and their great common sense. And then, <laughs> you know, we've got the public who, like, called the police when, like, KFC was out of chicken. Yeah. Got people who just flock into the <laughs> beach and, like, just packing, like, sardines. No masks, pooing everywhere. And, like, yeah. Nobbed. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll give you that. And who's your MMA-related chode of the week? 
So this one, I'm not going to say knobhead because he's actually a very uh, well-renowned jiu-jitsu practitioner. So I'm going to tone it down and say, like, that wasn't a very cool thing you did this week, bro. Um, <laughs> it was more so, so there was this guy who was fighting Austin Hubbard at um, Blades versus Volkov fight night. And he was called Max, I can't really say his name, but it's like Rockskop or something like that. That's his surname. And um, this Max guy, he took the fight on a week's notice. And um, first round he did all right, it was competitive. Then the second round, Hubbard scored three ten eight rounds, and like, I wouldn't say like Max was hurt or like it was it was over or whatever, but he then went back to his corner and he sat on his stool, and he was like, "I'm done." He said like, "I'm done nine times to the coach," and the coach was still trying to like motivate him to get on the fight. Yeah. And it wasn't until the sound for the horn for the next round was, I think that uh, Max was still on his stool, and it was at that point the referee and the commissioner waved off the fight and stuff. But I think it brings back the interesting debate of, you know, what's a corner there for in terms of protecting your fighter whilst also trying to motivate them. And yeah, I just think his his corner and his coaches, maybe they owed it to him where if a fighter comes down and sits on the stool and says, I'm done lots of times, like just looking out for your fighters and protecting their health. I think that's just a super important thing. We've seen it a few times. Yeah, I would say that's like worthy of knobhead status, to be fair. Like it, it's sort of... I get, I get the, I, I sort of get the debate, and I, I see like, yeah, you, you, you do employ your corner man to, to get you through the fight, but at the same time, like, you know, you'd want to have someone who throw in the towel, and the fact that you're saying, nah, not, not about it, don't want to fight, you'd hope that the coach is picking up on that from like your body language and just the way you're fighting and stuff. If you're being really passive, I mean, I've not seen the fight, so I can't speak on, speak on that for sure. But yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's just a tricky one because I, I don't know their whole coaching relationship. But when a fighter comes to you and says, like, I'm done, I do not want to be here anymore, take me out of here, that's essentially what other fighters saying. Like, there's a difference between... There's a difference between a fighter losing a fight and the coach being like, should I call this fight? Because uh, for the Anthony Smith uh, fight, for example, against Glover Teixeira like Anthony Smith was hurt for a good few rounds and the fight could have ended at the end of I think it was round two and I, I probably would have been happy with that in terms of his corner pulling him out you just see him get battered for another round and more time and it's like at no point did Anthony Smith ever want to say get me out of there like there's one time he spit his te- teeth out he spit his veneers out and he was like my teeth are falling out and the coach was like just breathe Man. just breathe and it's like I have no idea what you're That's doing so now. gross but yeah, there's a difference in that situation where a fighter's actually gonna fight till you know till the death. Really, I, I think I can say about Anthony Smith, he, he would go in there till the referee stops it. There's yeah. a different. There's a bit of a difference between that and then this other bloke who's saying to you, you know, I'm I'm fucking done. Like I'm done, and you not getting out, not getting him out of there. And then he sat on the stool, and then the ref and the commissioner have to sort of deal with that. Yeah, I just don't think that's a very nice situation for a young fighter to be in. No, it's not. It's it's sort of a toxic toxic mentality as well, like fighting above all else sort of thing. Like I get it, it's sort of like death before dishonor and everything, but you know, if someone's like giving up, well, it, they are in that instance basically tapping, aren't they? Like you might as well be tapping if you're saying like, "Ah, fuck it." Like, so yeah, I I I get that. I see that, and it's yeah, it's not it's not a good attitude. So yeah, I'll give I'll give you that. Well, I think that just about does it. I'll plug my pluggables, but before I do, Mac, is there anything you want to any 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 sort of things going on in your life you want to you want to share or any causes that you want to want to plug or anything like that? 
No, so just like to say, I, I bought a rash guard off of so my first coach at the Uni of York MMA Club, uh, Violet. She's obviously set up these Black Lives Matter rash guards. I've bought one of those. Uh, I'm expected it to be really high quality and stuff, and I think it's just a really good cause to donate some money towards that thing. So if you're looking for any uh, MMA gear and you'd quite like to donate to that cause, I think you know it's it's very high quality rash guards come with it. Yeah, I definitely agree, and it's supporting Violet as well. Like, obviously, that's not the reason you'd do it, but um, you know, it's good people. Good people support good people, don't they? So, yeah, that's that's for real. Yeah, and again, we've we've got links to the to the uh, page in the in our well in our previous podcast, and I'm sure we'll put it in this one as well. I know. Um, I think it's like a a two week thing, so I think you've got one more week to get the pre orders in. But I'm sure Violet would accommodate you if you were a little late. Like she's the sort of person who would, and since it's for such a good cause, yeah, do that. And obviously, if you're not in the market for a rash guard, you could always donate to any of the charities. So like the Black Curriculum and Black Lives Matter in general. Like yeah, they're, they're good good causes to go go with for sure. So yeah, um, this has been Tom from Dogfight Podcast. You can find our podcast on YouTube, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. Uh, I forget all of the account details, but you can just find us. Uh, if you're already listening to us, then you've found us, so just tell everyone how you found us. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, thank you very much for listening, and thank you very much for Mac coming on. It's been a really great uh, interview. I've enjoyed talking to you, and it was nice to speak to you again, Mac. Yeah, it's a I'm pleasure sure. seeing someone else during lockdown, man. I'm going crazy here. <laughs> it, was, it was great seeing you, man. I'm glad you're well. Yeah, you too, man. And I'm, I'm hopefully one day we'll get to roll again together one day. One oh, day, man, I sure. can't wait. I'm going to fuck you up. <laughs> I think you probably will. You probably will. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> All right, peace and love, guys. We are out. <laughs>